Well, hello, good morning, everyone, uh, and good evening if you're watching us uh, later today. Uh, it's great to be with you uh, here from the building. And uh, if we've not met, uh, then I've been uh, around in Nottingham for about 10 years. Uh, I moved up to, to Nottingham in 2010 to study up here. Um, great to hear from Zoe, wasn't it? I think uh, what a different uh, first year of university experience I would have had um, uh, from Zoe this year and all you other freshers. Um, but I, I live uh, now with my wife up in Forest Fields, which is uh, just to the north of the city centre. And we lead a home group, which meets there in normal times. Uh, and that really is one of the joys of our life. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at a passage in the Bible that is probably at least a little bit familiar to us. Um, but at the same time, it also talks about an aspect of life that is pretty alien for the majority of us, I would imagine, and that is the world of sheep farming. Now, I don't know when the last time was that you saw a real living 3D sheep. I think for me, it was a few weeks ago on a pre-lockdown walk in the Peak District, um, but it's probably even longer ago since you saw an actual shepherd. Um, well, apparently, there are about 34 million sheep in the, in the UK, but I don't think I know uh, a single shepherd, personally. I don't know about you. Um, I mean, it's usually that time of year when uh, sales of tea towels would go through the roof, because that's what we've decided is compulsory uniform for any uh, nativity shepherds. But anyway, although this Bible passage that we're looking at this morning has uh, got this strange metaphor of, of sheep farming about it, I really do believe that it's got a lot to speak to us today in 2020. So we're going to read some of the passage now, and then we're going to dive into it. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, it'd be great to have it open to refer to. Uh, we're going to be reading from John 10, uh, so do get that open. Uh, but if not, don't worry at all, uh, the words will be coming up on the screen for you. So John 10, uh, speaking from verse 11, uh, these are the words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I'm just going to pray because it's always a good idea to ask God for his help as we look at his word. Our Father, as we, as we turn to your word this morning, as we read uh, the words of Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us this morning, that you would come and, and help us to understand what you are saying to us. Amen. So we're going to be focusing today on that phrase which we read twice in our passage, uh, the phrase, I am the good shepherd. And I want us to go in really deep into this phrase, to really pick out some of the depth of meaning that there is in this short phrase, this short statement that Jesus makes. So to start off with then, let's look at these first two words, I am. If you've been with us over the past few weeks, then you'll know that we have been in a teaching series going through these I am sayings in the Gospel of John. Uh, we started off with I am the bread of life, which JP took us through. And then last week, uh, Rosie took us through I am the light of the world. 
And as we've seen, when Jesus says, I am, we know that it's not going to be just a casual throwaway comment, but that he's going to be revealing something profound about who he is and what he came to earth to do. There's nothing accidental about these I am sayings. And it's not coincidental that John has chosen to include the seven specific phrases in his gospel account of Jesus' life. And just a top tip for looking at these phrases uh, is that the context of the passage is really going to help us to understand exactly what Jesus is saying uh, and what he means. So with that in mind, if we flick back a chapter to chapter 9, we see that Jesus has got himself into some hot water with the Pharisees, who were the religious rulers of the day, um, because he's healed a beggar who had been blind from birth, which, I mean, sounds to us like it would be a good thing, but Jesus had got in trouble because he had healed this man on the Sabbath, on the holy day, and, and the religious leaders said that this went against the law. Um, so then this guy uh, who's been healed starts following Jesus and the Pharisees kick him out of the temple. Uh, they ban access for, for this guy to the synagogue. They shut the door on him. Um, so Jesus comes and brings comfort to this man. And then he confronts, speaks out against these Pharisees, uh, these religious leaders who have stopped this man from being able to worship God with his community. So then, in chapter 10, in the passage we read, Jesus is speaking in the context of this pretty terrible leadership uh, by the Pharisees, and also in the context of having done this amazing, miraculous work, this, uh, this miracle for the man born blind. He's cared so much about this poor outcast of society. So, back to our phrase, and I want us to focus in on the last word next, actually. So if you're taking notes at home, this might mess you up a bit, but uh, it's going to be worth it, I promise. Um, so then the word shepherd, I am the good shepherd. What does Jesus mean? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we don't spend a lot of time in 2020 thinking about shepherds. But if you were living in Israel in the time of Jesus, and then you'd be very familiar with sheep farming, even if you yourself weren't a shepherd, if you weren't involved in the, the agriculture industry. You see, shepherds were very much ingrained in the national DNA. And I mean that quite literally even, because if you look way back to Genesis in the Bible, you see that Abraham, who's the patriarch of the people, was a sheep farmer. He'd farmed sheep in, in the land of Israel. And then his son Isaac had also farmed sheep, and then his son Jacob had also farmed sheep. And it was Jacob to whom God gave this name, Israel, by which the whole nation of his descendants came to be known. And then if you fast forward a few hundred years through the Old Testament, you get to Moses. And before Moses had his uh, big Prince of Egypt moment leading uh, the people out of slavery in Egypt, he was working as a, a sheep farmer. He was a sheep farmer when God called him to come and shepherd his people out of the land of Egypt. And then fast forwarding again a few hundred years, we get to King David. And before he was king, even before his big Goliath moment, he was responsible for looking after his father's sheep, for protecting them from bears and wolves. And then... Uh, when Jesus refers to himself then as a shepherd, 
his hearers would have all this in their mind as he's saying this. They'd be thinking, oh, I know all these key leaders in our history who were shepherds as well. Sheep metaphors are also peppered throughout the Israeli national songbook, uh, the book of Psalms, you're probably more familiar with it as. According to my count going through it, I think at least 10 of these 150 Psalms include this idea of God being like a shepherd and his people being like his sheep. And it's just like in, in Psalm 23, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So this metaphor of shepherding was one that made a lot of sense to Jesus' hearers in their particular context. I don't know how closely you've been following the government's COVID briefings over the last few months, but I'm sure that some of you will be familiar with the wonderful Professor Jonathan Van Tam. Uh, he is the Deputy Chief Medical Officer for England, and he's actually a graduate of our very own University of Nottingham. Now, uh, JVT, as he's known, he loves a good metaphor. And he's actually attracted a bit of a cult following online because of his colourful use of illustrations to explain where we're at with the pandemic. So I'm not sure if you heard this one. He said, this is like getting to the end of the playoff final. It's gone to penalties. The first player goes up and scores a goal. You haven't won the cup yet, but what it does, it tells you that the goalkeeper can be beaten. So when we got Boris busy talking about the, the bugles of the scientific cavalry, JVT comes in here with just a good solid football illustration. But my favorite from JVT was his recent train analogy to describe the progress that they're making in developing a vaccine. He said this, this to me is like a train journey where you're standing on the station, it's wet, windy, it's horrible, and two miles down the tracks, two lights appear, and it's the train, and it's a long way off. We're at that point at the moment. That's the efficacy result. Then we hope the train slows down safely to get into the station. That's the safety data. And then the train stops. And at that point, the doors don't open. The guard has to make sure it's safe to open the doors. That's the MRHA, the MHRA, sorry, that's the regulator. And when the doors open, I hope there's not an unholy scramble for the seats. The JCVI has very clearly said which people are going to need the seats most and they are the ones who should get on the train first. Good communicators use imagery that makes sense to their hearers. So when JVT is communicating with the British audience, he chooses two metaphors that are very much ingrained in, in our national psyche. You know, waiting for a train on a grim rainy day and a penalty shootout. If JVT had started talking about sheep farming, then he'd lose his audience pretty quickly. But actually, when Jesus talks about being a shepherd, it resonates with his hearers, because that is what is ingrained in their national psyche. So it helps us to know that when Jesus says shepherd, his hearers think Moses, they think King David, they think leader. But Jesus isn't just describing himself as any old shepherd, as being just a generic leader. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. So what does it mean for Jesus to be the good shepherd? When well, the Greek that John had written this gospel in originally, the word here is kalos. And it's not talking about good as in skillful or talented. I don't know if you ever do those surveys where you've got poor, average, good, excellent. But that's not what's going on here. He's not good in that kind of survey sense. No, this word 
A kalos is a word that in other contexts carries the sense of uh, beautiful and is translated as, as beautiful. Uh, and it also has that sense of, of being noble or, or honorable. Jesus is the wonderful, ideal embodiment of all that a spiritual shepherd should be. And Jesus is also drawing a contrast here. He is the good shepherd in contrast to the many useless and abusive shepherds uh, that Jewish people have known through their history. Right up to this latest group of spiritual leaders, the, the Pharisees whom Jesus is rebuking. This is actually something that had been prophesied by one of the most prominent prophets in the Old Testament, a man called Ezekiel. And if you're not familiar with Ezekiel, then that's fine. You just need to know that he was living a few hundred years before Jesus was here on earth. And it was a point where the nation of Israel was in a real mess. And this prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 34 is really worth us taking a look at. So as I read, why don't you look out for the shepherding problem and then listen out for the shepherding solution as well. So I'm going to read Ezekiel 34 from verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed those who are ill, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And then skipping to verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I find this so amazing that Jesus, with his intimate knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures, is masterfully riffing off this Old Testament prophecy in John to describe his call and his mission on earth. So whereas the Pharisees are like uh, the, the shepherds described by Ezekiel, who only care for themselves, God, in the person of Jesus, has come to rescue his scattered sheep and to tend them, to set them in a good grazing land and to give them rest. The Pharisees are just the latest in a long line of terrible leaders causing this shepherding problem in Israel. But the solution is that God himself will come and shepherd his people. So let's turn again then to our passage in John 10 and see what Jesus is like as the good shepherd. And remembering that in this metaphor, we, his followers, are the sheep. So firstly, we see the closeness of the shepherd and his sheep. 
Uh, we see this in verse 3 and 4, which we didn't read earlier, but it says this. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. The illustration that Jesus is describing here might sound a bit unusual to you because it's a bit different to how sheep farming works in the UK context today. Um, apparently, I mean, I'm not an expert, but we're used to seeing uh, sheep dogs uh, herding uh, the flock from behind, or maybe if you're more familiar with babe, it may be a sheep pig who's herding uh, the sheep from behind. But in Jesus' day, this is actually... Uh, just a regular picture of what shepherding life would look like because you'd get all these different shepherds would leave their flock in one communal sheep pen overnight where there would be a gatekeeper who would keep watch over them all. And then in the morning, these different shepherds would come to the sheep pen and they would call out in this particular call to their own flock. And their own flock would actually recognize the shepherd and, and come out and trot on after the shepherds to go out to the fresh pasture for that day. I mean, I, I've always thought that sheep were a bit stupid. Um, and I think in actual, actually in many ways they are. I mean, they get lost really easily. They can't look after themselves at all very much. But they are smart enough to only follow their shepherd. Uh, and apparently some even respond to being called by their own individual name. So Jesus is saying here, this is what I'm like as a shepherd. I'm not coercive or forceful, but I've got a tender bond with my sheep. I know them and they know me. And my sheep follow me, not out of fear, but because they trust their shepherd to keep them safe and to keep them fed. Isn't it wonderful that we too can know this kind of relationship with Jesus? If you've been feeling particularly lonely or unseen during lockdown, isn't it amazing that Jesus knows your name? Maybe you've been laid off or furloughed and you're feeling just aimless and purposeless in, in life right now. But doesn't it help to know that Jesus is leading you, that he is guiding your life? And if you've ever felt like just one of the crowd, if your life feels a bit futile, Jesus wants you to know that he is right there with you and you are important to him. Secondly, then, this passage shows the commitment of the shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Sheep are pretty vulnerable creatures. Uh, they're not really gifted with any attributes that help them to fend off attackers. Uh, so when a wolf gets into the sheep field, carnage is going to ensue. And actually, that's still pretty much the case even for us here in the UK today with uh, advances in technology. Thousands, well, hundreds at least, of, of sheep are, are killed or injured each year here in the UK from, from dog attacks mostly. So sheep, then and now, and metaphorically, are in need of protection. But let's remind ourselves of what Jesus says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. 
I wonder, what is your hope for protection today? Maybe it's in your bank balance. Maybe it's in the NHS. Or maybe it's in your education. That will see you through. For us humans, there are, there are many wolves out there that we can't protect ourselves from. I think we're probably more aware of this than we ever have been in this year where uh, an invisible virus has spread around the world and has caused havoc uh, in terms of our health, both mental and physical, uh, in terms of our economy, which isn't looking great right now, and also in terms of schools and education, uh, universities, as we heard from Zoe, not quite like they should be. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are one of his sheep, then remind yourself of this. He is the good shepherd, and he laid down his life for you. He is not a hired hand who's going to bail at the first howl of a wolf outside the sheep pen. He went all the way to death to ensure your protection against the ultimate wolf, the wolf of death. And death no longer holds any sting for you because of Jesus' sacrificial commitment in going to the cross and his sacrifice for all who would put their trust in him. Well, thirdly then in our passage, we see the comfort of being part of Jesus' flock. And I love that this illustration actually is not an individual illustration, but it's one that involves being part of something bigger than yourself. It shows the community that we can experience in Jesus. And there's such reassurance in walking alongside others. And just personally, over these past few months, I've been uh, just extra grateful um, for being part of a flock, for being part of his church, knowing that I'm not just on my own. That is, it isn't just me and Jesus. But as we've touched on before, the comfort really comes from knowing that it is Jesus who is our shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. There's no one like him who truly cares for his sheep. And actually, it's just like in Psalm 23, which I referenced earlier. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, Jesus, are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Hallelujah. So we've looked at I am, and we've looked at what it means for Jesus to be a good shepherd. But I want us to wrap up just by looking at uh, the word in this phrase that we haven't talked about yet. And it may not seem very significant, but think of it this way. How different would it be if Jesus said, I am a good shepherd? I mean, firstly, it sounds like he's just touting his sheep farming abilities, doesn't it? Oh, I'm a good shepherd. Yeah, I mean, these guys probably are good shepherds as well. But no, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And there's something bold and exclusive about this claim from Jesus that he is the good shepherd. It's classic Jesus, actually. He doesn't just present himself as one of a number of different valid options. He says that he is the only way. 
And this is partly why I don't really understand when people say, oh yeah, I think Jesus is a good moral teacher, but I don't, I don't really think that he saw himself as being anything more than that. No, as we saw from the passage in Ezekiel that we read earlier, in claiming to be the good shepherd, Jesus is claiming something that would be totally blasphemous if it were not true. And that's why, actually, if you look a little bit later in the chapter, in John 10, um, verse 20, some of those who had heard him make this claim said that he must be demon-possessed or he must be crazy. It is a bold claim to make. But Jesus doubles down on this exclusive language in verse 7 uh, with another one of these I am phrases, actually. He says this, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. That's right. It's a special Black Friday weekend two-for-one offer on I am phrases this morning. Two I am phrases in one message. And in this one, Jesus is switching up the metaphor slightly to bring in a different sheep farming analogy. So in this picture, the sheep can only enter into the sheep field through Jesus as the gate or the entrance. Your translation might have it as a door. I think that this is, again, just masterful from Jesus in the context of what we looked at earlier, where the Pharisees had literally shut the door of the synagogue in the face of the man who had formerly been blind. And so now Jesus is making this outrageous claim that whereas the, the Jewish religious leaders said that they were the ones who controlled access in and out of the place of worship, out of the synagogue, Jesus comes and says, actually, I am the door. I am the point of access. And he doesn't leave it ambiguous either. He says uh, this in verse 9, whoever enters through me will be saved. But what does it mean to enter through Jesus, to go through him as, as the gate of the field? Well, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then this is great news for you because Jesus is extending an invitation for you to come and follow him, to come under his protection, to enjoy abundant life as part of his flock. He laid down his life at the cross so that whoever puts their trust in him can be saved. Saved from their own sin and mess, saved from all the damage that other people have done to them, and saved from that ultimate wolf, the sting of death. Maybe in your heart today, you've even started to sense something of the voice of Jesus calling you by name. Well, I would so encourage you to accept Jesus' invitation to follow him. And it's really simple. You could just start today, even now, by telling him, either out loud or just in your heart, just say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to follow you, Jesus. Your life will be changed forever, I promise you. He is the good shepherd, and he will never let you down. But for those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, uh, for those of us who have already entered through this door into life with God, I just want to finish by reminding us of this. 
Jesus is your good shepherd. He knows you by name. He tenderly calls you to follow him. He's delighted that you are part of his flock and he won't let you get lost. He knows the wolves that you're afraid of right now, whatever they might be, and he will bring you safely through. Even if the field that you're in right now seems barren, he will lead you to green pastures. Our shepherd hasn't forgotten you, and he never will. I'd love to finish just by praying for us all as the, the band come up. So if it's where you are right now, and you join with me, you can close your eyes. Jesus, thank you so much that you came to earth as a man <laughs> to be our good shepherd, to call many into your flock to follow you. And thank you for this wonderful, tender picture that you've given us, that you care so deeply about us, <laughs> that you comfort us by your presence, and that you lead us safely on, that you showed your commitment to us by going all the way to death, even death on a cross. And I thank you that you are with us by your Holy Spirit today, this week, this month, this year, forever, we can know deep, wonderful relationship with you. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Claire now.